first episode of season five of Three Girls, One Keith. You can listen to the rest of season five for free as episodes are released only on Spotify. Enjoy. This is Three Girls, One Keith. We have me, Amy Schumer. We have Bridget Everett. It could have been the kind of memory that you can never shake. Rachel Feinstein. It is hysterical because it's ridiculous. Keith Robinson. I've songed a lot of women to Jackie Brown. We're all comedians. Hell yeah. These three people are my my best friends. And I'm I say that with so much shame <laughs> and regret. <laughs> Are we recording? We are? Okay, good, because I want to immediately address that Keith has rancid energy. <laughs> he did have a, he had a very sour look on his face. What's your rancid vibe? <laughs> no, it's not a vibe. I just was in uh, Tel Aviv. Okay, you were in Tel Aviv. Yeah, and you were Rachel's people. Wow. <laughs> what? You mean, oh, so, so you hate Jews in, in general now? I was excited about going to Israel, mm-hmm. Holy Land. I flew United, by the way. Good for you. And uh, you deserve it. First class, of course. Of course. You're I precious. You're precious. What I deserve. And then I woke up though with a guy putting a cape on. What are you talking about? It's a guy. I, well, I guess it's a spiritual thing. I learned later that it was a spiritual thing that to do a with tallus, it. Like on the the thing? Oh, you mean yeah, a tallus, tallus, like a scarf, okay. not a cape, you dummy. It was a cape, okay. and he had a GoPro. Okay. On top. Okay. I thought it was GoPro, but what it was, Etsy told me it was a Bible thing. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a scroll. Yes. It's a, it's a piece of the Torah. Did it scare you? Yes, at first. I'm like, <laughs> what is this guy doing? Okay. And he was wrapping something around his arm. Right. Yeah, that's all part of... Yes, I didn't know what was going on. Okay, so that was your I'm... first taste Yes, that was my first taste of it. The second one, I went to a jazz club in Ooh. in uh, Tel Aviv. I went to a jazz club, enjoyed the that is cool. You know, the singing Jews. Uh, you just, know, we oh. just you know, it's a jazz club. There is. We don't no, need to. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I enjoyed but, the singing Jews. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, but when I when I get back to the hotel, right. the guy said, are you staying here? Okay. I said, yes, I'm staying there, showing him my key. I said, oh, well, is the bar open? He goes, no. Real nasty. And I go to the bar, and it was wide open. Uh-huh. So why would he tell me that the bar is closed when it was open? Do you think maybe he felt your toxic energy? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so far a guy put on his own religion's a tire on a plane a scared you a little bit, and then a guy at your hotel told you that the bar was closed. And right. is that why you hate Israel and Jews in general now? <laughs> <laughs> What's led you to this new life of anti-Semitism? No, what, what, what a guy told me, Eli, was like, it's closed. Like, why would he tell no, me? No, that does sound like racial profiling. All we have now is a you profiling a Jew and a Jew profiling you. <laughs> Which is a wash. So it should exactly. be even. It's a wash. You should feel totally loose. You should feel about Israel like you feel about Newark. <laughs> <laughs> no. Your reasons for not liking Israel are... I just said I didn't like it. I love Israel. But you hate Jews now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Well, that is a perfect way to intro season five of Three Girls, One Keith. Hit it. Hey, how you doing? Hey, where you been? Three girls talking about a lot of love and sin. And there's someone sitting next to us. Who that freaking man? It's ooh. Oh, oh. It's Keith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome. To the premiere of season five of Three Girls, One Keith. Hey! 
Are woe or boo? Are you woeing or booing? I'm not booing. Okay. We are so excited for this season. I'm going to do some things. I'm going to do things that I've never done before. And this this season is going to be a special Keith Robinson season. Is this oh Keith unplugged? unplugged? Well, I want to know what that thing is. Are you going to start wiping well? <laughs> <laughs> I just finished my last child support payment. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, feels good. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank wow. you. I want to say congratulations <laughs> to everyone involved. The court system. Everyone. <laughs> So Quentin Tarantino is our guest today, and that is a huge deal for this show. Whoa. Huge. That's this huge. This is big. Are, is... are you guys feeling nervous about him coming in here? Yeah. No. You are? I, yeah. Why are you nervous? Because he's got like a lot of energy, you know? Like he's That's like, true. He's like, I feel like he's he's going to dominate the space with his energy. He's a little manic. He's, he's got a little that manic, manic yeah. energy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and does that? How does that make you feel when someone's a little manic? Uh, like I want to crawl under the table, just like Poppy, my dog. Right oh, now. okay, that makes you kind of put your head in your body like a turtle. But I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited for the ready. mania. I'm gonna match the mania with my own. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. How did you convince him to make this grave mistake? I don't know. I. I well maybe he hasn't listened and you're just like I'm doing a podcast with some friends and you don't say who it is you and know then they what? show up. He definitely <laughs> has heard the podcast, which oh, is really? right. crazy. Wow. Yes, because he he said specific segments he doesn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, well, maybe I could have been offended he, he didn't want to do some things. Instead, I was like so flattered that he had ever even <laughs> heard of our podcast. Yeah, but he is a longtime Bridget Everett fan. Wow. And that's the truth. And so I think that his saying yes has to do with that. And Did you know I, that, Bridget? Uh, sort of. Yes, she oh. totally knows that. Amy told me once. Well, was I the only one who's ever told you that? And somebody else told me one okay, time, Okay, yeah. Too. So, um, and I, uh, he's the only person I think I've ever asked, other than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if they would get lunch with me. And he said yes, and we had a, we had a really fun lunch. And I emailed him. Uh, after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out and I, I said, I loved the movie and congratulations and if you would ever be on our podcast. <laughs> and I just thought, never is this happening. And he's coming today. <laughs> I tried to read a little, a couple interviews and listen to a couple of podcasts he's done just to try to keep away from the like, you know, when you're in, someone's interviewing you yeah. and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So Keith, are you nervous a little? No. No, you're not? What, why? You're not impressed with Quentin Tarantino? I'm very impressed with Quentin Tarantino. He's amazing. But you're not nervous because... I don't know. I'm just not nervous. Have you been nervous for any guest on here so far? No. Are you ever nervous? You know what? Uh, you know what? When you're on a plane and somebody puts a piece of the Torah <laughs> on their head, <laughs> nothing gets you shaking in your boots like someone who loves the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin Tarantino really requires zero introduction. Since we taped the episode, there were all these Oscars and Golden Globes that were won. Another slam dunk for Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Finally. Finally. <laughs> so let's take a listen. You're welcome, Quentin. Yeah, we made him. <laughs> we fucking made Tarantino. All right, you guys ready to rock? Yeah. Oh, hey, one thing I have to bring up, though. Of course. Okay, um... I'm excited. Well, sorry. Okay. I hate to sound like a soft cock, all right? But, uh, <laughs> so I've been listening to your, your podcast. Well, and thank it, you. Yeah, and, and apparently so has my wife, all right? Oh. And, uh, and 
actually, she never bugs me about shit. Yeah. All right. She called when I was in the car, all right, yeah. today as we were going to something. Right. And uh, so she had actually been listening. She, uh, she lives in Tel Aviv, all right? So she was actually listening. He was just in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and she was just like, look, I've been listening to this show. They play this <laughs> game called Pass or Pound. <laughs> You can't play. You can't play pass or pound. She right. sounds really smart. Don't play. You have, a, really... you have a pregnant, beautiful model at home, and you cannot play pass or pound. She doesn't bother me about shit. She reached out from the Middle East, all right, to give me a directive, all right? And, and like, uh, Ken Kavarit, got it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I answered her back God. in Hebrew. I had no fucking choice. Oh, my God. We are like just uh, so honored that you even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, um, that is incredible. Okay, no pounded or pass, and um, well, fully respect pass or pound now. Pass or pound is better. Pound is better. <laughs> um, well, if I could just leave that little mark on the show, all that, right. is, <laughs> that will be the whole interview. Um, we're so psyched that you're here. <laughs> me too. Me too. This is, you know. I I can't believe that this is happening. Oh, and look, I'm, so I'm excited. very, very excited. I'm very, like, not as excited as I was about your sexual fantasy about uh, Nancy Pelosi, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was some randy stuff, boy. I, I saw I the whole thing. It was like a movie, all right? I, Bridget I can recall it right back. now, all right? <laughs> Bridget does not hold back. I'm just trying to let out a little energy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Um, I have a million things that I want to know about. Even, like, I just want to just like thank you for your movies. Like oh, just thank you and and thank you. My and, face is crimson. <laughs> I mean, it's just genuine, you know. Just no, it's I a know. Genuine, that's why it's that's why yeah. my face is crimson. And, uh, and but you know that one of the biggest gifts that you gave us with this last movie was the joy, and it was like a gift where like you knew you were giving it, and it was part of, of the bit, mm -hmm. just like. Brad Pitt shirtless on a roof. Yeah, right. yes. yeah, it was yeah, just yeah, like, exactly. here you go, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm just giving it to you in a, you know, with a bow. And, and that you didn't was even so just, funny You didn't even me. dance over it. You just really let us have it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I yeah. was like, I was, yeah, I was like, I go, wow, this is actually the closest to homoerotica I've ever filmed. Yes. All right? This and, is, a, this is very you. Joe Gage. All right, very 1970s uh, yeah. handyman guy on a roof. It was so, and it was, and it was yeah. funny. It was just, it yeah. was just. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was perfectly done, but it was a sweet treat. You gave yeah. us our little caramels, and <laughs> right, I appreciated yeah. it. And believe me, it was funny because actually, in public, Brad is kind of shy about stuff like that. Oh, At really? the same time, he knows exactly what time it is. Yes! Of course he knows He's what time it is. Right? He, he knows. You know, so it's like, uh, um, uh, I go... Okay, so I'm thinking maybe like you know, okay, you unbutton uh, you unbutton the Hawaiian shirt and peel that yeah. off, and then peel off uh, the champion T-shirt. Like, was this on the day? You yeah, yeah on the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on the roof, all right. And I was like, <laughs> really? Want me to go through all that button bullshit? <laughs> I just I just take it off in one big go. Oh, yes, like, like, okay, this guy knows, knows. knows exactly knows. what time it is. Give the people uh, what they want. I, I, I shut the fuck up and let uh, and let the master do yes. his yes. do his job. Yes. All right. And then just even like like even like uh, 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 when you see him in the um, the work shed, all yeah. right, and like the way he, he puts on the leather gloves, oh puts the wire in his mouth, yes. all butch and macho. Yeah. I mean, he just knows what. 
time in no, it. Wasted second. Like when you get like the other people that are on set that are not like the huge movie stars. Yeah. Like, does he know like his impact on them? I mean, there must be you know like some of the people that are lesser known in that mm-hmm. in that film, mm-hmm. and they're around. You know, arguably one of the biggest directors of our time, yeah, yeah. two biggest movie stars of our time. Like, what's that like for them? There must be like. Well, there was. Uh, well, by the time they're doing, by the time they're doing the movie, you know, they're, you know, they're there, they're acclimated. Yeah. I mean, they, they might be pinching themselves a little bit, but at some point, you have to get over that. Yeah. All right, you need to, you need to do the work. But one of the, <laughs> the funniest encounters of something like that, was Mike Moe, who's the guy who played the Bruce Lee character. Yeah. And so uh, he's from Wisconsin. And so he just happened to be in town and he came and audition and had him come in a couple of times. Oh, that's so cool. And, and, and he got the part and, and he kills it. Yeah. But he kind of gets the part, but it's like in about three days, we're going to have the big script reading. Yeah. Where the, all the cast comes together. So intimidating. Now, I, I think he might have had an idea that maybe Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be in the movie. Oh, he didn't know. But he didn't really, <laughs> he didn't, you know, he didn't go, he didn't know who everybody in the movie was. Oh all right. Oh, and no. so this sweet guy runs a martial arts studio in Wisconsin. So he's Show, not even really like an actor? Yeah, he's well, he's an actor, okay. you know, but I mean, but his, you he's know, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he lives in Wisconsin, yeah. you know, and he, he'd been on a couple TV shows and mm. stuff. So he shows up, uh, we have a rehearsal space and a big long table like this. Mm-hmm. And then the actors from the rest oh, of the movie showing start showing up. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio walks through the door. Margot Robbie walks through the door. Brad Pitt walks through the door. Al Pacino walks oh, through the door. Brewster, not yet. Burt Reynolds walks through the door. When Burt Reynolds was going to be George Bond before he died. Burt Reynolds walks through the door. Are you watching him? Like, are you watching the fuck out? good. I mean, he's like, holy shit. He's like, can I even talk when it comes my time? I'm like, I mean, he's like, okay, keep it together, keep it together. Like Eddie Murphy and Bowfinger, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Did he hold it together? He kept it together. He was terrific. A star is born. That's huge. That's so cool. I actually was. Um, I was like, you know, just preparing a little bit because I'm a hero. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the last time I saw you, mm-hmm. we, I was, we El went Compadre, out to, right? Yeah, no, no, El no, well, that wasn't the last time. The last time was I got a Golden Globe singer. Yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. when we went out and I, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ask you about True Romance. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that your first time working with Brad Pitt? Yeah, well, it's the first time he played one of my characters. Oh, okay. Because I wasn't on the set or anything. Right. That. Yeah, but no, that was definitely his first time playing one of my characters. Yeah. The thing about that, though, is Brad was sort of like, he couldn't do Clarence, yeah. but he wanted to work with Tony and goes, how many days does Floyd work? He goes, what, you'd play Floyd? He goes, oh, I would love to play Floyd. Oh, you know, uh, just so... you know, uh, how many days? Like, well, we can make it work in three days. Yeah. Well, then, then count me in for Floyd. But he already had wow. a whole vision of what Floyd would be. Yeah. And so he just like added it to it. He just added it uh, to, yeah. uh, to this vision. and. Look, the character was fine on the page, but the, but the reason you really, love it, the reason it's so, so iconic cool. is yeah. what Brad did with it. That's so interesting. True Romance was my was my first script that right. I ever wrote. Like, Ed, that you ever wrote? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's just, wow. That, well, so I just stop now. Quit, guys. Quit, okay? <laughs> well, I had actually, I had written other scripts, but I never finished anything, okay. all right? So I had, like, from elementary school on, right? I had right. Uh, scripts that I had wrote that like got to page 15 or page 20, like, page 30 was like the most I think I ever got. Yeah. And then finally I actually started writing this script that was actually started as a script that a friend of mine wrote that 
finally I passed page 30, but then I couldn't stop. So when I got around page 300, I go, okay, this ain't gonna work. All right, uh, uh. That's such an interesting problem to But have. then I knew that, okay, the next one that I write, the next one will be the one. That will be the one that is a movie and, and I get finished with. And to me, it's actually in the, in, I, I love the movie True Romance, but to me, there's, it's, it's missing one little element as far as the character of Clarence is concerned. And, and, and that it was, was Christian Slater. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, Christian Slater played Clarence yeah. in it. In the original script, Clarence was, wanted to you know, be in the movies. He wanted to be a, a, a screenwriter. Like me, Clarence mm-hmm. wanted to write movies. You know, he's got some 500-page magnum opus. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, nothing's typed. All right, just all just looks like Richard balls. Ramirez's diary. Yeah. All right? You know, uh, uh, like you know the, the Una Bomber's manifesto. Yeah. you know, and he, he, he carries it everywhere he fucking goes. These yeah. like random pages. Yeah, and but the script he's writing is Natural Born Killers. Oh yeah. And so the thing is, what you you, know, you would have the situation where you would see Clarence and uh, Alabama do their things, and then he would read her scenes from the script, and then you'd see this fantasy version of Mickey and Mallory, all right, the sexy young couple, sociopaths, serial killers Mm -hmm. on the run. And it fucking worked. There was no no doubt about it. It was just too effing long, all right? So, and but also there was an aspect that, even though thematically I loved it, I almost needed to take it out because those started to be the best scenes. I go, well, if if Mickey and Mallory are that interesting, maybe they deserve their own movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so crazy. And that, that movie, just the, the roles you wrote for those actors, like just the most like incredible, like Christopher Walken's character. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Oh no, well that, that was, uh, that to this day, that whole Sicilian scene between oh. uh, Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken is one of the, uh, was that one of scene, my, fa- uh, my favorite scenes I've ever written. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be like on every list of like, you know, one of the best scenes in any movie ever. Oh, I think it's like that a dialogue I, that yeah. those, and I think it was definitely a specialty for a long period of time in acting classes. <laughs> People would oh, do yeah. that scene <laughs> oh, that's so sad to picture like college age yeah. actors doing that <laughs> and like saying the N word. Yeah, yeah. I actually think there might be a time where it probably would be frowned upon to I do that scene that, in yeah. acting class. Now, for a time in the 90s, man, yeah. it, was the, it was a go-to. Also, True Romance is my favorite sex scene mm-hmm. in the oh, movie. Uh, yeah. If you guys, no offense to your, your pregnant wife, but <laughs> um, they, do you remember that scene you guys yeah. had sex in a yeah. phone booth? Yeah. I was like, oh, that scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. That, that is a really one. good scene. Oh, yeah. that is a hot oh, scene. Oh, yeah, wait, on the phone, on the phone books? Yeah. yeah, on the phone books. Yeah. And like as someone who was who weighed 150 pounds when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> I knew I'd never be hoisted in a phone yeah. booth. Um, but Copy still, that. that just that just really did it for me for a really long time. I remember seeing I remember seeing uh, Django on either Christmas Eve or Christmas. Yeah, it'll it opened on Christmas out. Day. Yeah, it was yeah. Christmas Day. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was like looking at box office stuff, mm-hmm. and so that movie. All your movies are are very successful, but mm-hmm. that movie like made so much. Oh yeah, so much money. What yeah. do you attribute that to? The black audience. Okay, it was okay. the black audience showed up. Sure, they effing showed up and they saw it twice. They saw it three times. How many times do you see it, Keith? Seven. I've seen a lot. It was it was a great movie. This is a very random question, and I think I'm probably projecting pretty hard. Um, Okay, so 
There was a show called I Survived. Mm -hmm. Do you ever see it? It's one of those like. No, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. So it's like these shows where they like these people lived through a crazy. Tragedy. Like a plane crash happens exactly. and the Andes and yeah. Okay. Or a mountain lion. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. like. <laughs> so the first time I watched it, there were like, there were these things that happened, and I was crying and mm -hmm. crying and crying, and it was so upsetting to me. And then I kept watching it, and with my little sister, uh -huh. and uh, and. She's like 37, so I should just stop calling her little sister. But, um, we, but then we kept watching it. It started getting really funny to yeah, us. Yeah, uh, uh, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, like, it's so fucked up. It's, it's funny. It's so <laughs> fucked up. It's funny. And so I had this weird question of like, do you remember like some real violent thing making you really upset and then moving on to a point where... Because you have to laugh. Because yeah, yeah. when things are that fucked up, you have to laugh. Does well, that ring anything to no, you? It does, no, it does ring a bell. But I mean, but also... When you're talking about, especially when you're talking about movies, we're not yeah. talking about like watching a bar fight or sure. somebody punch yeah. somebody in a street corner, a film, you yeah. know. Uh, um, but watching a movie, I normally find violence in movies funny. Yeah, all right? right, because it's fucked up. Yeah, all right? so fucked you up. Know? It has to be funny. And then it's like uh, uh, I remember like in the Steven Seagal movie Out for Justice. All right, uh, 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 William Forsythe <laughs> is like the bad guy, and he's a fucking crazy nut. And then there's a, a, a scene where he kind of backs into a fucking guy. A guy, a guy backs into his car. Yeah. All right, on a New York street, and he's like, "Hey, you motherfucker! Hey, fuck you! Fuck me! Fuck you!" Yeah. And he gets out and walks over to the car, grabs a guy by the hair, takes yeah. a gun, and boom, blows yeah. his brains out. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. That's some funny shit. Yeah. All right, and um. But all through the 70s growing up, you see, you know, coffee blows a guy's head off with a right. shotgun. Fuck! Ah, the whole theater's bursting out laughing. Right. Yeah. right. But was there ever a time before, like, do you remember a movie that upset you and then you got over it? The only, yeah. Okay, you know, frankly, to tell you the truth, the only time that I got upset, like, we're talking about being a little kid, like yeah, in fifth grade. That's what, yeah, yeah. All right. The only time I got upset by uh, the violence in a movie was I was living in Tennessee at the time. And uh, uh, there was no theaters around, but there was one drive-in. And my grandmother, who I was living with, she's not going to get into a car and go to a drive-in. She didn't leave her trailer, all right? So I just kind of went by myself. And the movie was The Last House on the Left. And so to see The Last House on the Left when you're... 11. <laughs> That'll change your DNA. At midnight yeah. by yourself yeah. at a drive-in and not in a car. Oh, that'll do it. Was I, I couldn't watch it to the end. Yeah. I was so effing freaked out <laughs> that I actually left the theater oh, in the lab before I didn't see the yeah. big chainsaw climax. All right, you know, uh, it was because frankly that was. If there was one thing that scared me when I was a kid, frankly, it scares me now. I mean, the one thing that actually scares me in real life is the idea of like home invasions. Oh, oh yeah. God, yeah. That's like the one, I mean, I would, you know, they would have, uh, 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 um, in Los Angeles on Channel 9, they would have this thing, you're watching TV around one in the morning. Be on the lookout for these guys. All right, yeah. you know, and they would like show a, a mugshot. This is Willie Johnson. All right, he's yeah. wanted for this and that and murder. And if you see him, do not approach him. He is a very dangerous guy. For the whole fucking night, Willie Johnson is bursting through my of fucking course. door. <laughs> of yeah. And uh, so that's always been the one thing that kind of scared me. So that like freaked me out. Yeah. But you know, but what you're asking about though is. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So I've always find uh, uh, violence in movies and like the more extreme, like the funnier, all right? right? Because it's outrageous, yeah. you know? And, and yes, it's funny, but it's, look, and sometimes it's funny, haha. All yeah. right. But a lot of time it's funny. Oh, that's so fucked up. All right. <laughs> right. That, that, but that's its own kind of funny. Yeah. That's its own kind of funny. And so part of like one of my modus operandi is to make people, make audiences laugh at fucked up shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> also, I feel like it's a good way to point out the ludicrousness of it. I mean, yeah. there's, uh, it is hysterical because it's ridiculous. Like when I was a kid, I used to love when people would get like, uh, just rudeness is funny, right? Mm-hmm. When people are, when people would get kicked out of someplace and then the guy would come back in again. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so dumb and simple, but to be told repeatedly to leave and they'd be like, hey, it's me again. In a different <laughs> outfit. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> doing his fan club. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Like the guy, like when he comes in a Santa suit. Ah, sorry again. But I feel like you bring back a lot of those fun. Yeah. You just like and that feeling that you ha- you have when you're a kid, but with such an unusual mm-hmm. commentary. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the you know one of the things that I, I tried to do in some of my genre films, and you know, I have to say, I learned this from the um, the author Elmore Leonard. He would do it, where he'd set up a crime situation, but then what he would do is it was the kind of thing you've seen in a, a zillion crime movies before, but then he would have real life intrude on the cliches. <laughs> and all of a sudden, shit just gets fucked up, but it gets fucked up the way yeah. real life would get fucked up, yeah. all right? You know, and then, so especially in the, in the early movies, in, in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, I tried to, uh, and Jackie Brown, which was based on an Elmer Leonard novel, I tried to employ stuff like that. And what do I mean by that? I mean like, okay, uh, uh, this is not something I've done, but this gives an example. So say the cops are chasing after some crook or something and he's, the foot chase is going on and we've seen that and all of a sudden he stops the car and yanks the guy out or yanks the woman out of the car and gets in the car and drives away. But what if it's a stick and he doesn't drive a stick? <laughs> yeah. You know, those were the kind of things that Omar Leonard would do. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask you uh-huh. about. Like the soundtrack, yeah, like yeah. Jackie Brown. I was right? just yeah, gonna yeah, say yeah. that. Uh-huh. It feels that was like that's my favorite soundtrack. Oh, that's yeah. a, I love that soundtrack. I songed a lot of women to Jackie Brown. Uh, so. You can guess what songing a woman is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my favorite. But do you you pick the soundtrack? Oh, yeah, I pick the, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll make a tape. All right, literally a cassette tape of like things <laughs> I think would be great Still for the movie. Yeah, I really down in I'm, oh in, I'm into God, the tapes. Yeah. All right, because one of the things about it is like as you know. As proud as I am of my filmography, I'm equally as proud of my discography, of yeah. the, like the soundtracks to <laughs> yeah. my movies. And one of the things that I would do, because I have like a, I'm a, I have a big vinyl collection, like I'm the kind of nerd guy that has a vinyl collection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I even have a whole room in my house that's like the vinyl room. So it's set up like a used record store. I think we store. all knew in our hearts you had a vinyl yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And it's like, you know, and it's in bins and broken down in different right. genres and you go of like course. this and I got rock <laughs> shit on the wall. And uh, uh, usually movie posters that have rock people in them. So the thing is, um, when I'm just kind of figuring out what what I think what I think might be the next thing I'm going to do. One of the first stops is going into the record room and going through the records to kind of find the rhythm that this movie needs to take place to. All right. So you always I always really want some sort of a groovy opening credit song Mm -hmm. the opening credit sequence. I start trying to find that. And then maybe I, I, I find that, or maybe I find two examples of that. And maybe there's a couple of other songs that could work out good for scenes in the movie. And when I actually find about one, two, three, four, like really 
solid pieces that kind of that kind of tells me what the movie is and the the rhythm and the, the beat that the movie can play. And then Jackie Brown is a, is a great example of that because I knew it was going to be based on 70 Soul. Right. That it's like. Okay, well, yeah, I, this this might be the next one I'm doing. I mean, that that's a long way. Once I nail that, then I, okay, this could literally be the next one. Yeah. Then for like during the writing process, because I still can play. I, I have a tape player in my car. You know, it's like that is what I'm listening to for the next six or seven months while I'm uh, oh, uh, while I'm writing the movie. It's just just every time I get in my car, yeah. man, yeah, it's just that's the soundtrack playing. Then I, I can keep adding to it and subtracting from it and everything yeah. and just keep monkeying with it. So it's like that's just constantly playing in the car. Yeah. I think whenever you have a movie come out, that's also what's happening with me. Like, Oh, that's sweet. No, I'm serious. No, I mean it, though. That is sweet, though. It's I appreciate just, it. I mean, like that song, Down in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Well, there's an interesting story about that. Uh, that song? Yeah, that song yeah. about me using the coasters down in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, somewhere along the line, I think probably in the early 80s, I picked up a record album in a, in a record store, and it was, uh, you know, the coasters versus the drifters, you know, and then it had a little thing on it, like, you know, as advertised on television, you know, um, and I bought it. And then I quickly realized, oh no, this isn't like the classic fifties versions of the drifter songs and the classic versions of the coaster songs. And also there was actually kind of a thing all throughout the eighties. You could see the coasters and the drifters in about 19 <laughs> different Ramada inns all over America. <laughs> oh, I've seen the Riviera. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vegas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The they played the Riviera they were, or, or, or the, the state line, all right, or uh, <laughs> Buffalo Bills, which is right when you get to uh, Nevada. Mm-hmm. All right, you know, because basically, Anybody who was ever a drifter, and there was a few, all right, <laughs> over the course of 20 years, oh, everybody, yeah. anybody who was ever a coaster could then get four other guys and start oh. their version oh, of the coasters yeah. and the drifters. So this was one of those alliterations. Yeah. And so literally, they, they, they couldn't get the rights to the original masters, but they could get this alliteration of the drifters and this alliteration of the coasters and just re-record the songs. Yeah. But frankly, they did a really good job with them. Yeah. But the down in Mexico uh. for this cockamamie 1970s TV deal album is the one I used. And it was amazing. Yeah. It's so much better than the original hits from the 50s. And I loved it. But it was like, if I ever lost this record, it would be lost for all time. There'd be no finding this yeah. record again. Yeah, right. I can't believe I found it the first fucking time. All right? <laughs> and so for like 20 years, I gotta put this in a movie, but I can't let, I mean, if it, got, it. if it got a scratch, I would have been fucked. <laughs> yeah. all right? So when I finally was able to put it in death proof, I was yeah. like, and I knew it was gonna be on our soundtrack. I go, it's safe. Yeah, all right. the world has it now. Like that one disc can, like, oh you know, I can retire it now, Thank and God. the world isn't 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 hanging in the balance yeah. of a, a bad I needle. I think I I just yeah. personally killed mm-hmm. that song for like three years. Just that yeah. that crazy beat. Yeah, wah, wah, yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Down it, in America. And they're just they're listening to that. With <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just. Well, she so does a great good. she does a great lap dance for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just really love that.
And when you're getting that. ready for, for like a movie and you make those mixtapes, I just want to go back, <laughs> circle back to Yeah, yeah, right on. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> it's so interesting. Uh, somebody making a mixtape. I just think you have like lined up on your shelf, like uh-huh. Quentin Summer Jams. Do you name them? Well, yeah, well, actually, well, look, I'm, I'm, I mean, there was a time that like, if I liked a girl, I made her a mixtape. I was just gonna ask, did you make a mixtape for your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still have- them. Yeah, yeah. I still have mixtapes that a couple guys made for me. It's like the best. Oh, I gave them names, all right. It's romantic. It's an act of true love, as far as I'm concerned. I agree, yeah. You probably fuck up a couple of times, you forgot to take it off pause when you thought it was on pause. You gotta the tape back with the little pencil. Holy shit. He's already moved on, it's just. There was this whole aspect, especially after I did Pulp Fiction, that I was like making a lot of mixtapes and I was sort of like realizing how how similar making a mixtape is to directing a movie. You're basically taking all these other mm-hmm. artists and all these other people's aesthetics and by your choice of them and yeah. the yeah. way you put them in, Curation. those aesthetics are telling people about your aesthetics. So you're telling mm-hmm. something about yourself by your choice. I go, whoa. So I would used to joke, yeah, I'm kind of getting out of the directing movie thing, kind of getting into the making the tape thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a full-time DJ. So you said, I mean, when we, when we went out to lunch mm-hmm. and you've said this in interviews, like the idea is still to possibly not written in stone stop at 10 yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing Star Trek. That wouldn't be part of the 10. I don't know if I'm going to do Star okay, Trek. But, okay. if, but if I did, I figured it would be That's, part of the 10. That would be part of yeah, the 10. Like, I mean, if you don't come up with a 10 just to come up with a loophole. <laughs> But you know, a okay, lot of- that's a real declarative statement. All right? <laughs> I know, I know. Drop but- the mic. Okay, now pick it up again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned you you're doing you would do Star Trek. Now I'm a big Marvel movie yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge. Right. Mm-hmm. Now what do you, what is your feelings <laughs> on Scorsese? He said you know Marvel was not cinema. Yeah. What well, do you feel? Well, look. Generationally, does anyone think that he's going to be a big fan of Captain Marvel? (laughs) (laughs) Strange. Ant-Man versus the Wasp. You could have guessed that that would be his reaction. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Also, to be fair, Keith thinks cinema is like a laser light show or like a rotating sign in Times Square. He believes that's cinema. I think you would do like Luke Cage. Well, no, no. Well, look, believe this or not, there was a time before all this Marvel shit was coming out it was after Reservoir Dogs. It was before Pulp Fiction. And I had thought about doing Luke Cage because like when I was growing up, I, I was a big comic book collector. And my two favorite from the 70s, my two favorite comic books was Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, later Luke Cage, Power Man, and Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Did you like those, Keith? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, well, in, in particular, though, it was it was actually funny, and I also like Werewolf by Night. That was a great one too, and Tomb of Dracula was great. But my absolute hero was uh, 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 Luke Cage, and trust me, I was the only white guy that the number one <laughs> his number one run that he collected was Luke Cage. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, the, the other guys made fun. Even the black guys would not collect Luke Cage. <laughs> I had two Luke Cage comics. Uh-huh. Oh, good for you. <laughs> they were the best, man. But the thing is, so I had actually considered doing Luke Cage uh, uh, 
not instead of Pulp Fiction, but it was like, uh, actually what would have happened is I already made a deal to do Pulp Fiction. So actually Luke Cage would have been my Jackie Brown. That would have been after (gasps) Pulp Fiction, it would have been (laughs) Luke Cage. What actually dissuaded me from doing it, I think dissuade is a right word. Totally. Okay, (laughs) I'll like. i buy it. I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Was my comic geek friends talked me out of it. All right, because I had an idea that Larry Fishburne, would have been the perfect guy to play Luke Cage. And that was, I'm talking about, you know, King of New York era, yeah. Larry Fishburne, you know, he was oh Jimmy Jim, God. all Does right? That, that was, that was, oh yeah, yeah, I told oh, him about no. it, all right? <laughs> but all my friends were like, no, 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 man, it's gotta be Wesley Snipes, all right? You know, uh, and I go, well, look, I like Wesley Snipes, but I mean, I mean, Larry Fishburne is practically the, it's practically Marlon Brando, I yeah. mean, I mean, I think Fish is the man. And they were like, um, yeah, but you know, but he'd have to get in shape in a big way. I mean, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> Your Snipes, Snipes is that way already and yeah. everything. I go, well, fuck that, man. That's not yeah, that, that important, yeah. all right? You know, these actors. I go, fuck you. You ruined the whole damn thing, all right? <laughs> How do you feel about people copying you? I think it's the greatest compliment yeah, It is a compliment, ever. but are you, you're that well adjusted that you can just go like, Go ahead. Good for you. Yeah. No, no. I mean, like, you know, there was a period in the 90s, all right, where all these quirky gangster movies would come out with outrageous black comedy violence and characters. Every character talked about Lincoln Logs or I Love Lucy or uh, the Partridge Family or whatever the the hell it was. I mean, Um, it bothers me. (laughs) You go like, oh, my God, they are just biting off him so But at the same time, I mean, but that just, that shows a zeitgeist. Influence, right, right? All right, that shows that my shit's tight. All right, well, there's and the no question. Are doing it. <laughs> That's a healthy way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, you're. I want to just read the name of of these movies: just Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volumes One and Two, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Drop the mic. I Boom! Mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, really undefeated. <laughs> Champion. You, just, you don't even have a, Like, there's just nothing in there that's like, uh, oh, I was going through a bad time. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, had, I was going through a divorce. I had to pay for my pool. Exactly. Exactly. We need a new basement. It flooded. There's just that the opening scene in Inglorious Bastards yeah. with um, what's his name? Waltz. Oh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph yeah. Waltz. And the farmer. Yeah. And the farmer, and he drinks a glass of milk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh huh. That's another one. Well, that was the one where it was like, I kind of had this whole thing where I'm making other movies and writing stuff, but I knew that the one to beat was the Sicilian speech, the Sicilian scene in True Romance. In True Romance. And I knew I had, I had never topped that. And that was the first <laughs> script. So it was really kind of bugging me. You're that, competing like, with yourself. Yeah, it was really kind of bugging me that my first script had like hands down the best right. scene. Then I wrote the whole uh, farmhouse scene with yeah. uh, Christoph Waltz and the milk. And it was funny because I actually was having a really hard time with that script. I couldn't shut my brain off. Yeah. So, it, so it got just too long. Mm-hmm. It just got way, way too long. And so this was before Kill Bill. So I go, so what are you saying, Quentin? You're too big for movies? <laughs> <laughs> so You're bullying and trolling yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I put it away and then wrote Kill Bill, all right? And then I did Death Proof. And then I found myself back to Inglorious Bastards. And part of the thing about it was 
that scene was so good. I have to solve this problem yeah. because I cannot let this scene go unfilmed. And then I did. And no, it's like, uh, uh, I, I think I had finally, I had finally just barely ate an apple off the head of uh -huh. the uh, true romance. Scene. Okay, I think that's, that's fair. Uh, what do you drink? What? Like, are you, are you, what do you drink? I, we have I thought you said, why do I drink? You're <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, where is this Why do going? I drink? No, I drink everything. What do you drink? Okay, that's a little different question. <laughs> yeah, what do you? I move kind of back and forth between being a margarita, a margarita yeah. tequila guy or. Rocks a, with salt? Yeah, yeah, uh, rocks and salt. Oh, me too. Or, and uh, what kind of tequila was your favorite? Okay, well, not that I wanted. Endorse. The last person in the world I'd want to give a commercial for is okay, George Clooney, but <laughs> I gotta say, I got to say, Casamigos Reposado is fucking delicious. Shit, I'm gonna get it. It's made for yeah. margaritas. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, but then I go back and forth between that and then Jack Daniels on ice with soda water and half a lemon squeezed in. Oh my gosh, oh, that's surprising. so funny. Do you have when you finish a script? Do you have a, like a a ritual that you do to celebrate? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Uh, uh, okay, I've been asking questions for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could have left out the actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty hurtful. I'll say it. I feel hurt. <laughs> Finally! Wow, I am shocked. I don't have a you know. James Caan in Misery, all right, kind of thing, where it's just like, every time he does it, he has this thing that he does, uh, you know, I don't, I don't quite have that. That is uh, who who I relate you to the most. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, Kathy Bates uh, in yeah. Misery. But I, uh, um, I have a little celebration because usually it's about like three o'clock in the morning of or course, something where when you it happens. push through to finish. Yeah, I yeah. push through to finish. Usually it's been like two days. Yeah. All right, straight. And then, like, whoa, all yeah. right. And then, like, uh, yeah, I'm probably making like a blender of margaritas yeah. and a bag of weed. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope so. That's what yeah. you want. Yeah. It's like, so is there like a certain joy in like, Realizing this, okay, this actor's a legend and they're mm -hmm. amazing and they aren't really being utilized or yeah. maybe you feel like they haven't really shown and reached their potential mm -hmm. to kind of plucking them out of wherever yeah. and kind of reinventing them. Oddly enough, as time has gone on, I've kind of veered away from that a little bit. Why? Uh, I, look, then in the 90s when I first started working, um, I was this movie mad guy, all right? And so the idea of uh, uh, taking actors that I loved and that I admired and I had this respect for them and I didn't think that they were being utilized in the right way, mm -hmm. I, I got this joy out of presenting them and presenting them in the right way. Like one of the things that I've always liked, is like, you know, I get kind of sick about the fact that it's like every five years, when it comes to Hollywood movies anyway, every five years it's like, it's the same list mm. of, of, of stars, but, but, but it's always the same list of character actors too. You know, they, they hit for a while and then like, you know, now they're in four movies a year and they're all big movies. Yeah. But like other character actors could have played those roles. And then I would see either they get regulated to television or back in the day, they get re regulated to uh, B movies. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and they're still fine. They're still terrific. Sure. And there always was this idea is every once in a while, you would see an actor that had been kind of stuck in that road, who like, had a different road a long time ago. And then every once in a while, 
they would get like a real movie. Not that the, I like exploitation movies, so not they're not real movies, right. but more prestige. And it, it's exciting. It's like I'm an actor again. Yeah. And so I wanted to get that kind of light in those yeah. actors' eyes and, and present them in this like you know glorious way. Now, as time has gone on, I'm more about my characters now. Okay. Rather than like finding this whole... actor and, 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 and presenting them in this right way. Now it's sure. more about, I'm all about my character. So yeah. I want the actors who are going to play my characters and make my characters come alive. That makes sense. I always sense. wondered how that moment went though. It seemed so exciting if you calling this person. For some reason, I always I pictured know. them working in like a sad bank with a low grade depression <laughs> at like, you know, five <laughs> waiting for it to be six. Oh, and then God. you walk in the bank. <laughs> but was that exciting? To On just, a to reach out? Like, well, yeah. well, just to give you an example, when it comes to Pam Greer. Just before I cast her, she was on a, like, for Pam Greer anyway, she was on a, a, like, a mini wave, all right? She was in Mars Attacks, all right? I think she was in Escape from L.A., a horrible Escape from New York sequel, all right? <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I'm writing Jackie Brown, and she knows that I know who she is. I, like, I, I, I had her come in for uh, Pulp Fiction. And I had Foxy Brown posters and Bucktown posters and coffee posters on the wall. And she comes in and she goes, did you put those posters up because you knew I was coming in? <laughs> you know? And I go, actually, I almost took them down because I knew you were coming yeah. in. You know, you know? But, you know, I was like, I was a, a huge fan of her. I pushed her power whenever I could. And um, so she doesn't know that I'm writing Jackie Brown for her because it was based on a book called Rum Punch. And the character in the book is a white girl and her name is Jackie Burke. And I'm reading the book and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so she's in her late 40s, she's very attractive, she's kind of at the end of her rope career-wise and, and the social strata, yet she's cool enough that she can handle anything. She just has to handle it. Well, that sounds like Pam Greer to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then now all of a sudden I'm not making just an Elmore Leonard adaptation, I'm making like the ultimate Pam Greer movie. Yeah. But a Pam Greer movie that like deals with like real life concerns, you know, she's not just taking on, you know, all the drug dealers in Oakland. All right, you know, she's, uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's dealing with real too. people trying to, you know, with real criminals trying to squeak by and real cops trying to squeak by. And um, so I'm writing this whole thing for her and then I would see her at like, you know, the uh, um, science fiction fantasy and horror film award, she'd be there <laughs> or something else like that. Yeah. And she goes, things are going really good for me. Yeah. And I just say, fuck all that. <laughs> Oh, God. Wait till you see what I got for you. I don't give it to her agent. I don't send it Federal Express. You bring it? No, oh. I don't even do that. I put it in an envelope. I write her name on it and put a stamp on it and bought it in the mailbox. <laughs> oh my God. And I just write a little post-it on it that says, look at the character of Jackie. Oh. <laughs> Well, she didn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, because she was like, "What? I mean, do you want me to play the blonde beach bunny?" Right. <laughs> right. No, bitch. You're Jackie Brown. You're Jackie Brown, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. I would never forgive myself if I didn't ask. Um, you were on an episode of Golden Girls. Oh yes, that's true. And I think. I can speak for all of us when I say that's the most impressive thing I've ever heard of anybody. <laughs> can you just tell? Can you just tell us quickly, like how, yes. why, and everything? About well, that? Uh, well, the the how and the why kind of go together, is because it was for a very short period of time I tried to be an actor. All right, okay. I was more like an acting class actor than a, a working actor. Okay. But one of the few working jobs I got was I got cast on a Golden Girls. All right. Um, 
I was one of 12 Elvis impersonators. <laughs> In the episode? Yeah, yes, exactly. It was like Sophia's oh, wedding. Amazing. And they were supposed to get a band, but instead they just get 12 Elvis impersonators. <laughs> and so like, we're the chorus of the wedding thing. And um, yeah, I wasn't an Elvis impersonator. All right. But I was very enamored with Elvis yeah. at that time. A lot of the other guys were actual Elvis impersonators. I, mean, I was actually just wearing my own clothes. So, um, Showed up. And almost everybody else, I mean, everybody else was like kind of the Vegas Elvis yeah. with like jumpsuits and shit. I was the Sun Records Elvis. Yeah. I, was, I was the rockabilly, hillbilly cat Elvis. All right. And this was back when like I made. $10,000 and working minimum wage. Yeah. So I'm making $10,000 a year. Uh -huh. I mean, back in those days, you you wait for tax time because you're going to get money <laughs> you're gonna back. You're going to get some money back, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And so I make like about like $1,200 just doing that, doing that episode. Oh, and then I get paid $1,200 a second time. Oh my God. Because, it's, because it was a, a, a two-parter. We got put in a best of episode oh. and I got paid again. Oh my God. <laughs> I got paid three times for this little bit. And this was back when the Golden Girls was, it was on prime time on, on NBC. As it should still be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It played like at 10 in, the after, 10 in the afternoon on network television at NBC because they, they showed reruns of it in the morning. And then it was also, reruns were also showing on channel nine and all over other local so stations. You probably so I mean, every, every time any one of those three episodes played, I got yeah. money. Wow. Oh my god! I you still, made your annual salary. I still get like you know a, you know a five cent check that for it every so once in a while. Wow. <laughs> Do you meditate? Your publicist is going to come over here and strangle me, but I just... No, 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 I'm, I'm going to lunch, so I'm good. All right, okay. Do you, do you meditate? Frankly, to tell you the truth, this is, I'm not just saying this because you're saying this. I've been thinking that it's something I should maybe pick up. I don't know yeah. if I can, I don't know if I can shut my brain off enough. A bunch of enough. us did it. It's so great, and uh -huh. especially when you have these like long days, and, mm -hmm. and uh, then you're going to be a parent. But how long? How, okay, how long? Uh, 20 uh, minutes twice a day, and you just go in mm -hmm. for an hour a couple mm -hmm. times a week when you're training. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. a couple, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's life-changing. How, how long does it take you to kind of stop the things from coming into your head? You're supposed to meditate for, ten, for 20 minutes, uh -huh. and sometimes it's not until the 16th minute that I feel like I reach quiet, yeah. and that is enough, even mm -hmm. if yeah, it's yeah, for yeah. one minute. But then right, sometimes yeah. it's right in, right out. It's, right. yeah, I, I just mm -hmm. couldn't recommend it more, as you guys know. And I just, um, I just am so excited that you're going to be a parent and oh, to see you. what what you know work comes of yeah. that. You know, <laughs> I'm, yeah. look, I'm, I'm I'm so excited. My wife is so happy. I'm so happy. I've got the perfect gal to uh, start a family with. I'm I'm in a, I'm in a really I'm so happy really for you. Really great place in my life yeah. right now. I feel like emotional for you. It's really <laughs> great. And thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just we all love you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Right, cool. Thanks, everybody. Stay strong. Talk soon. Hey, 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 Three Girls, One Keith. Three Girls, One Keith is a Spotify original podcast. Our executive producers are me, Amy Schumer, and Kevin Kane. Our executive producers at Spotify are Bart Coleman and Ben Hosley. Three Girls, One Keith is produced in collaboration with Gilded Audio. Follow us on Instagram at Three Girls, One Keith. That's the number three, girls, the number one, Keith. And make sure to follow us on Spotify so you don't miss a single episode. After hearing that, I just want us to all give a good fuck you, come on. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck you, come on. Come on, Keith.
Fuck you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good. Fucking Kevin, fuck y'all. <laughs>